You're listening to Music You're Missing. My name is Brendan Gennetti, and today we are joined by Verite. Verite encompasses exactly what it means to be an independent artist. She is a true driver of her artistic vision, honing incredible songwriting, production, and vocal skills. I first was exposed to Verite back in 2016 when her cover of the 1975 Somebody Else went viral, amassing over 150 million streams. I then was reintroduced to her last year when she opened for Fletcher on the Girl of My Dreams tour, and I'm so happy because she went on to release one of her best works to date, her latest album, Love You Forever, a record about grief, moving on, and killing off the parts of yourself that are holding you back. Verite is in town today opening up for LP at House of Blues, and I'm so excited to catch her set, but even more excited to have her in studio. Before we get her in, if this is your first time listening to music you're missing, hey, I'm Brendan. I've held a million different jobs in the music industry, and throughout my career, I've realized how many talented artists deserve to have the opportunity to share their stories and have their music heard. So alas, Music You're Missing was born. All artists featured on the show have their tracks added to the Music You're Missing Spotify playlist, and if you go there now, you'll see Verite's lovely face gracing the cover. Beyond the podcast and the playlist, Music You're Missing covers concerts, hosts a bunch of giveaways, and hosts really cool music events. So follow us on Instagram at Music You're Missing to be updated on all MYM's happenings. Okay, I promise that's it for me. Without further ado, here is Verite in the Music You're Missing studio. Verite, welcome to the Music You're Missing studio. How are you? I'm great. Same. We just had a wonderful conversation. It felt like we were in podcast mode for like the past 10 minutes. It's okay. We're going to literally regurgitate the conversation. Yeah, we'll rehash it. It was nice, though. It's like nice to not go into it with like not having spoken to someone. You just kind of have to start from from scratch. I feel like I've learned a lot about you in the past seven minutes. Yeah, I think that it's a better way to start a podcast for sure. The the pre-podcast podcast. podcast. Um, Anyways, welcome to Boston. I'm sorry your Uber routed you in a weird way. Um, have you been to this side of Boston before? Can I be honest? I don't know where the fuck I am. Yeah, like, I, I don't. I, I think that touring gives you such a weird perspective of cities. Yeah. Because I know the area right around Brighton Music Hall. Mm-hmm. I know the area right around the House of Blues. These venues that, like, I've kind of hit multiple times. And then other than that, like, I could be in any structure in any city right now. I have no idea. Yeah, well, that's funny because you are definitely in, like, a very modern part of Boston where the things that make Boston Boston are not necessarily here. So you're getting the the corporate Boston. Great. I love it. (laughs) I want to see every side of Boston. Um, But, yeah, so I I, I saw you in Boston before, actually, um, when you opened up for Fletcher at the House of Blues. Oh, amazing. That's where I am again tonight. That's one of my favorite venues and that's Fenway Park so that's like a very Boston Boston experience. Yeah, and there's not a game tonight which everyone is highly grateful for. That's so I totally forgot about that. I remember well the line for the Fletcher show was the longest line I've ever seen in my life for a concert. Yeah, Fletcher has really really devoted and amazing fans. Um it was really amazing getting to open for her. Yeah. And just getting invited into that world. I think for me, when I open for people, I view it as this challenge of uh, how do I invite people and give them exposure to me and my world uh, in a way that makes them want to come back for more. And I definitely have a lot of Fletcher fans who have become very, very avid Verite fans. Well, I've seen the tweets. They, they tweet with a very certain type of language. And I'm like, I bet you that was a, a Fletcher convert. Yeah, I feel very grateful when uh, opening pairings are well-matched. Yeah. And I'm able to kind of 
I don't know, meet new people mm-hmm. and, and kind of grow in that way. Yeah, no, I remember that there was um, a lot of purple light on your set, and it was really cool. It was like, I, I was an instant fan. I try and keep shit moody. I like that. Um, but I, I've been watching your journey ever since, and it's actually really cool, because I saw that you just played your first ever arena in Montreal a few days ago. I did. That was wild. Yeah, I heard you saying a podcast that, like, when you play things like the Today Show, it's so, like, instantaneous and quick, and then it's just kind of, like, over, so you don't really get to, like experience it all too much but for an arena like you're there all day you got load in and then you have a full ass set in an arena so like how was that experience it was really interesting so everyone's audience is different so the the fletcher audience is way different from the lp audience Mm -hmm. um they're both brilliant but like just different subsets of human and like energy and vibe and so lp's audience skews maybe a little older okay um and they're very, very quiet and attentive. Mm-hmm. So I literally said this from stage. I never expected the first time I played an arena to be to a literally silent, seated, attentive audience just watching. Yeah. And some for some people that would feel like a negative. For me, it's a net positive. It's how how grateful I get to be for, you know, 4,500 people to be quiet and be watching what you're presenting to them. Yeah. Uh, Like, it's truly why I make music. And we've been doing a lot of seated theaters on this run. Oh, that's So the arena being seated was wild, but all of these seated theaters, you you actually put on a different type of performance. Yeah. Right? You actually have to be the artist and, like, the performer. It's way less of this exchange, and it's much more of, like, okay... I'm going to give you a piece of myself. That's a really interesting concept, and it, it makes so much sense. Do you do you have a preference? Like, do you would you prefer a more like rowdy on stage, or do you actually like the intimate feeling? I really love both. Yeah, I think it's just a matter of within that first song understanding what I'm working with. Yeah, yeah. Right, because you do get on stage and you're like, I don't know what the fuck this is gonna be. <laughs> this could be great. The, everything could sound different than it did in Soundcheck with bodies in a room. So the first song is always uh, sussing everything out. Mm-hmm. And so I can kind of gauge where I'm at and what kind of energy I need to bring mm-hmm. in order to make it a great show. Um, and I don't really have a preference. Like Chicago on this run was one of the biggest shows uh, sold out at the Salt Shed. And an amazing, amazing crowd. And they were like really lively and really rowdy and kind of with me and then quiet at the moments I wanted them to be. So for me, it's really how you work an audience is is how do you get them to pay attention in the moments where you want them to pay attention and then let loose in the moments you want them to let loose. I feel like that's a really great skill set that is super important for a touring artist that might not necessarily go like tapped into for a lot of artists as well. Yeah, it's something that it's not a perfect science. Like, there yeah. is a level of that that is wholly out of your control. But someone gave me the nicest compliment the other day. Um, I think it was, like, a, someone who worked at a venue. They were like, wow, this is really your show for 40 minutes. Like, you That's don't really feel like an opener. And I think I take that to heart. It's like, if I'm on stage, this is my fucking stage. This is my show. Even though I'm a guest of this artist, Mm -hmm. um, the idea that, like, for 40 minutes, I am inhabiting 
that stage and this is my crowd and, and my world is really sacred to me and important and I try and own it as much as I can. Yeah. I, I talked about this a little bit in my intro. You're like a full-blown independent artist and in, in all of the things that that means. Like you really have your toes in so much and I can tell how much like the craft means to you all aspects of your artistry. So that's really cool to hear. Thanks. Yeah, independence initially wasn't by choice and then became <laughs> by choice uh, pretty early in my career. And it's definitely, like, I wouldn't have it any other way. There are challenges, but I think the upside of winning when you're independent can't be beat. So what's interesting is I was never signed. Oh. Yeah, so I've been independent fully from the get. Oh, yeah. Which is really interesting because I think we are now in this phase of a lot of major label artists getting out of their deals mm -hmm. and transitioning to independence. And it's been really interesting for me talking to friends and other artists who are in that transition and trying to equip them with some of the knowledge and skills and like um, red flags to look out for, et cetera of how to run an independent project because it's actually really apples and oranges. Yeah. Um, the, the level of involvement, the level of work, the level of intricacy, um, understanding your finances, having to develop additional skill sets to compensate for, you know, lack of a major label budget, et cetera. So I think for me, it's like, I feel very grateful that I'm like about 10 years into this career, that I've built something that it has a foundation that can be sustainable independently. Mm -hmm. And then you're always just like kind of waiting for your next win that will kind of take you f the next five years. Yeah. What was your, was your latest win, the arena show or just like this overall tour? I think this tour is definitely a win. I, I released a record earlier this year and I toured it. And I think that, I'm feeling like a lot of people are feeling these uh, barriers to progress mm -hmm. within the music industry. This is such a big and loaded subject, the idea of what is an artist in 2023. Yeah. Right? What does it mean to be an artist? What are the requirements for being an artist? And not only being an artist, being a successful artist that can sustain a career. And I think for me... There's a lot of friction points of artists wanting to monetize their art, not knowing how, feeling exploited by the music industry, which the music industry is wholly exploitative, mm -hmm. but not recognizing that it's also now our jobs to navigate the market and the culture that exists currently where people aren't willing to pay for music. People don't have the attention span to really be deeply involved with 50 artists, Yeah. right? Attention is scarce. And so I think for me, it's about recognizing the realities of the market and as an artist viewing that as a creative challenge to how can I expand my concept of what is art and what is my artistry to these different considerations, whether it be content creation, whether it be how do I connect with people, whether it be the music that I'm creating, et cetera, 
so that I can build something that is financially sustainable so that ultimately I can continue doing whatever the fuck I want to do. Right. And like that. And it is a precarious balance. Yeah. And like it is hard. It is not easy to balance all of these things. And I also recognize that I have a very unique brain that can hold all of these realities together um, and pivot really quickly between them. But I think it's it's a really interesting loaded question of like, yeah, now you have to be <clears throat> a content creator and you have to have a fucking camera in your face. And like, no one gives a fuck about my day to day. Like, I don't give a fuck about my day to day. Like, I don't want to wake up and tell you what I'm eating. Yeah, no, I don't. It's rice cakes. I eat rice cakes and almond butter every morning. <laughs> like, like it's not interesting. Yeah. And that's also, like, not why you're we're in it. And to be honest, like, yesterday I was doing a deep dive, obviously, just to, like, prepare for this. And I had a thought, and I don't know how you feel about this, but I was looking through all of your stuff, TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, like, everything with your name on it. And I was like, I feel like you have a style. You don't have a brand. Like, I don't feel like you're trying to sell me something. I don't feel like you're trying to get me to do anything other than listen to your music. Like, you don't, you're not selling me on a product. Like, you just want me to know you for being an artist and, like, the art that you create. And I actually really do appreciate that. Those are the artists that I resonate with the most. Thanks. That means a lot. I think what I'm really trying to do is, as a, as a quote-unquote content creator, I'm really trying to avoid the desperate please listen to my music. I need you to listen to my music because I need to pay my rent vibe, Mm -hmm. right? If I need to fucking pay my rent, I'm going to go wait tables, right? Like, and I think that for me, I'm really happy that the style comes across because I really try very hard that to just be exactly myself, which is sometimes really quiet, which is sometimes highly curated and artistic, which is sometimes like really crass and silly, and all of these things, and I and I want the visual story to exist, and I don't want to taint that with things that I look back on and I cringe at. Yeah. Like, oh my god, I can't believe. And and I have to say, there's like a quality to things that I have posted that feel put on, and things that feel natural. And I think that honestly, I've deleted all the things that felt put on because I'm just like I actually don't want that shit living out in the open and on the internet. Yeah, well, I mean, you kind of mentioned, too, the visuals that you had. And Love You Forever, just the whole project, I feel like had really, really cool visual elements, whether it was, like, the videos or just, like, the still photos that you shared. Is that something that you knew before you had the concept for the album, while you were creating the album, or after the fact? As I was (laughs) creating the record, I don't start off being like, I'm making a concept record about X. I'm really just like collecting ideas, collecting melodies, collecting songs, maybe starting to build out some productions of things that resonate and that I like. Mm -hmm. Um, And it feels like a puzzle kind of scattered on a table. And then there's usually like a point in the creative process and it could be months into it, could be, you know, it's, it's really not a perfect science where... It all, I, the, the picture starts to form. It's not put together, but I start to kind of understand the world or, or really understand what I'm trying to say as yeah. I'm trying to write it. And I think None of You, the third track on the record, was that moment, which is why it was so important that it was on the record, even though it like definitely wasn't a single. And I just saw the 
table of that visualizer, this like mid-century dude tied up, me kind of like dancing around him. And it was the catalyst for the visual world. Wow. And once, and then I started applying that concept to the songs that had already been written. And I was just like, that checks. It all makes fits. Sense, yeah. And then it allowed me to be informed as I finished the record. So you have songs like A Lucid Dream, which the epilogue had been written, but I kind of interpolated the epilogue into like the full song. Oh, wow. And essentially that song was the last thing written and it was written for the world. Yeah. Well, are you ever like questioning? Because I mean, there's some there's some bloodiness in there. Yeah. Ever like, is this too much? Or like, I don't think it doesn't enough. come across that way at all. I was just curious. It's for sure not enough. <laughs> Let's be real. I think that if I had more money, <laughs> it'd be like a full blown Saw Five. Not Saw Five. <laughs> I think that like the the gore is unnecessary. That being said, I think that. I was really strategic in how I created the visuals. Yeah. I ultimately don't know if they were effective for how people consume content these days, right? Mm-hmm. But I think for me, I viewed it as a graphic novel in a way where if you watch all of the visualizers and listen to the record, you're going to get the full story. And it became a very um, practical way to get a lot of different scenes and a lot of different visuals yeah. uh, to represent the arc of the story and the arc of the record. Um, and I'm really, I mean, this is my favorite batch of visuals to date. Like, I'm so absolutely proud of them. Um, and the blood was just fun. And me dragging that body for I Would Leave <laughs> You was also, like, so, so fun. Was it like a one-take drag? No, because, okay, so Kevin was in the bag. Like, there, <laughs> we put a person wrapped up Poor in Poor Kevin. Seat. No, Kevin, Kevin knew. <laughs> the whole time, I literally was just like, hey, Kevin, do you want to do this? And Kevin's so great. He's, he's a, a string player from New York. He had, he had, like, been in a Dua Lipa music video, so he knows Sick. what's good. And the whole time, I was like, hey... You're going to be tied up with a bag on your head, dragged, and at some point, like, I need to, like, straddle you. I'm like, <laughs> Are, is that cool? Like, you feel good? He's like, yeah, I'm down. Let's do it. Yeah. So I felt very grateful. And it, what's funny is um, my partner and, and my cousin, Matt, who plays, uh, plays guitar, also co-produces with me, the amount of people who are just like, are you baghead? And he's like, no, I'm not fucking bad. No. <laughs> it's Kevin. <laughs> it's not me. That's so funny. Um, well, Love You Forever is actually not coming to a close, but we're, we're almost at the end of an era. Um, yeah. I know your latest single, Paranoia, Deja Vu, marks the, the final chapter of Love You Forever. First of all, wow. Like, honestly, one of my favorite tracks of yours. Thank you. Like, everything about it is just, like, the lyric video. I could watch that. Like, I'm so, I just am reading every single word, and then I'll watch it again, and I feel like I missed something the first time. Amazing. Um, Before I get into the track even more, and fanboy, uh, what what does the next chapter kind of look like? Okay. So, this is the terrifying part. You ready? I don't know. Yeah. Right. I don't. I actually don't know. And I th- there's part of me that finds that to be exciting. I think that part of the reason this tour I'm currently on is such a win, is because I 
for sure wasn't ready to just be home through the end of the year mm-hmm. with this looming pressure to create. Yeah. It, it, it wasn't going to happen. I think it would have, like, destroyed me. And so I think that I don't know what the next era looks like, the next world looks like. But it doesn't mean that I'm going to stop. Like, I have some... The Love You Forever era, in terms of new music, is dead, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not... Like, that. the narrative feels very complete. The, the relationship... I mean, maybe relationships that I kind of wrote the record around are like have come full circle to a place of like closure, nice. even even in my life. Right. So all of that, the door is kind of closed. Paranoia Deja Vu is that last chapter. So I have some ideas of remixes or live Ooh. versions that I want to kind of pollinate out yeah. into the world. And then next, like I have a single that I'm excited about that I'll finish in December. I obviously have the podcast. And then it's going to be kind of an era of experimentation. That's exciting. Right? Not dissimilar from when I first released By Now and He's Not You after New Skin. Of like, cool, we're we're just going to make some music, test out some sounds, see how they feel. Um, And then slowly but surely, I believe, another record will come to fruition. Yeah. Wait, so, so many things that I want to comment on. The podcast, the remixes. I want to bring it back to Paranoia Deja Vu, though. Specifically, the, the lyrics of the chorus. <laughs> you call it Paranoia, but I call it Deja Vu. I think that's such, like, a beautiful line. Like, do you remember creating that and, like, the feeling you got when you had it? So, that song started with the bridge. No. Oh. And it was the first session I had done in a long time. I don't really do writings. I don't really write with people anymore. Oh, wow. Um, me and my cousin Matt really, like, are co-producing everything. I, I wind up writing most of everything alone. Uh, there are some things on Love You Forever that kind of came from when I was doing maybe a session or two. But it was my first session in, like, a year. It had been a while, and... It was with my, my good friend, uh, Tomi, who has an amazing project, and Mia Follick, who also is an amazing artist. And we kind of sat down. And when you're, like, writing with other artists, right, there is always a concept of, like, who's in charge? Mm-hmm. Like, and, and not in a, a, a dominance kind of way, but who are we writing for? Because we all know that... It's, it, writing is like a, this sacred process. Yeah. And if someone is too domineering, it's like, oh, that song's no longer for me. So mm-hmm. it, it became clear that like we're writing for me, it, like within that. And I and I just started singing and playing what is the bridge, and I thought it was the chorus for a minute, but it's like here's the part where I tried to convince myself how you'll become someone else if I give it time. And I got really angry with myself because I thought I was, like, done writing about this fucking relationship that, like, fell apart and, like, was the catalyst for all of this grief that made Love You Forever. That, like, triggered what was, like, a lifetime of grief, not just the grief of the end of a relationship. And, you know, you could call it paranoia, but I call it deja vu. It's like when someone kind of gaslights you into being like, 
you're paranoid or like this isn't real and you're like bitch I've been here before <laughs> like I yeah. know exactly how this feels I know exactly what you're going to say I know exactly how this is going to play out and I think that frustration and it felt like kind of the final verbalization of of kind of everything I had felt in that situation um, in the most candid and vulnerable and direct way and I think as I as I age I'm just getting more literal and more if I can even get more direct I am becoming more direct <laughs> well I saw so many people have not only resonated with it but they actually like said that it was really healing for them how does that feel to create something that not not only people like sing and not only do they really like it but they also take that and they like learn and grow from it I think that for me, it's the reason why I do the thing. Mm -hmm. I think that I've been on this concept recently. It kind of goes back to what we were talking about before, where when you merge art with business and the desire to make money from the art, you're changing its DNA. Mm -hmm. And it is now what I believe a service to people. Um, and I think that this idea that I am so myself that for, for all of the <laughs> its ups and downs and like rough edges and that I'm totally fine just giving, giving myself and other people a space to be themselves and to be messy and to be crass and to be angry and to feel the full chaos of what it is to like be alive I like I view that as as my service and I feel very grateful that people resonate I feel very grateful that people even give it the time of day yeah right and so for me it's like the whole reason I do this shit no I, I love hearing that I mean that was definitely like for me I mean luckily I guess I can't necessarily relate to it but it, it sure has an, it sure has enhanced like my showers. Like I was listening to that in the shower, and I was putting on a full show while I was shampooing. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I, it was I was like looking. I was like, oh man, I, I do feel bad that so many people relate to that. But it is some it is such a like a trope that's so true. Like the the whole gaslighting of it. Unfortunately, like so many people fucking gaslight. Yeah, and I don't even think it's intentional. I mean, like the the beauty is my ex, who you know. <laughs> that says it all. <laughs> I well, I played it for him because we co-produced all of my records before. So New Skin, him and I worked on together. Somewhere in between, we worked on together, and so with the loss of like that relationship, and I won't like go into like the details, but it it was also like the loss of a creative collaborator. Yeah. And so now that we've kind of come to this place of closure and the ability to like genuinely be friends and like he feels like family to me even though there's obviously this like distance between us I think that I feel great when he's like wow this is really well written and the production fucking slaps and I'm like let's go <laughs> you know what I got out of this conversation you're like so mature and smart <laughs> 
and I think I'm going to take some life advice from you, which <laughs> is actually great because you're gearing up. Look at that segue. You're gearing up for this second season of your podcast, Anatomy of an Artist. Yes. Which honestly, like I, I was telling you before, I, I literally clicked on the Olivia O'Brien episode and in like two minutes you had her talking about something I've never heard an artist like just so candidly talk about and it was that she lost money on a tour. Um, and then obviously I was listening to so many other episodes and you've had really impressive guests. I'm kind of curious, like being an, being an artist in itself is a full-time job plus. Yeah. So what made you want to start a podcast? I think, I mean, I started it in COVID and I started it when I really started looking at the landscape of the music industry and being like, understanding that certain roadblocks and challenges within the industry were starting to crop up for people like me who are independent, who aren't in the system, who aren't playing the major label game. And I think so. It was a twofold of... It was a desire to have transparent conversations mm -hmm. with artists about what it's like to balance being an artist, creating your art, and building a sustainable business from that art. And not just artists, but I've had like producers. I've had so many uh, angles and perspectives because I really believe that no one talks about this shit and then everyone is fucking each other over constantly and doesn't understand the other person's business mm -hmm. and the music industry and everyone playing in it is at a disadvantage and it is to their detriment that that lack of understanding and so for me facilitating those conversations at the same time as creating a new um a new outlet for myself and viewing that as opening myself up to these you know different potential revenue streams, different, uh, just different trajectories that my career can go into yeah. thinking about like, what do I want to be doing when I'm 60? Yeah. Well, I mean, it also helps that you're really good at it. Thank <laughs> you. Uh, so what's, what's in store for the next season? Oh, I have really great guests lined up so far, but I think that it is a hybrid so I think it's it's obviously speaking to more artists, but I'm going to bring in more people from my team oh, cool. in my world. So, for instance, Matt and I will do an episode kind of talking about our creative relationship, how we balance being, you know, family, creative collaborators, how we started, because Matt and I have been playing music together since we were children. Wow. Um, you know, I'll have my manager on, and we'll talk about how we've built this project independently as well as you know a lot of other artists some producers um so it'll be a bit of a hybrid but i think it's been really fun lifting the hood on other people's projects and the idea that i can lift the hood on my own project yeah like i did an episode with a, a really good friend of mine who's a producer and he got so excited he's like can i interview you and so the next day he interviewed me so there's <laughs> there is an episode where he just like flips the script it'll be a double where then he starts asking me all of these awesome. questions yeah well i mean that's such a cool way to let people in without being in your car and being like i have the song of the summer like that is a very yeah. authentic way i don't have the song of the summer ever <laughs> <laughs> honestly like the song of like sad winter yeah i have the song of winter <laughs> yeah. uh, well verite it has been a, a pleasure having you in our fish tank studio um i like to wrap up every interview with this question beyond music and beyond your career what are some, some goals you have for the near future? For the near future? Yeah. Okay, get this. <laughs> um, I'm going to finish this tour. 
And I really want to, two things. I'm going home. It'll be December in New York. Imagine it. Cold, right? We're starting to hibernate a little bit. I moved my studio into this smaller room. It was in the bigger room and it felt too open. So I moved it into the smaller room. I want to decorate that room so that I have this like really nice contained working space in my apartment. And then I want to buy like a measuring cup and some bowls and I <laughs> my kitchen is like the kitchen of a frat bro <laughs> like I have one rusted Ikea pan yeah. um, and so I want to buy some cooking supplies and I want to start cooking more and yeah. maybe baking all of the healthy shit that I want to consume and I feel like December feels like the perfect time to do both of those for things. sure I love that. I call that uh, living life less intensely because I feel like yeah. sometimes like I travel a lot or I'm working a lot. And like sometimes it really is the small things like making dinner where you're like, oh, my God, yeah, this is life. I, can I do would this? love to be in like a beautiful routine where like I wake up, I exercise, I sit down in a beautiful space. I edit some podcasts. I work on some creative work. I like work on mixing some live sessions like we do all of this. And then, like, I get up, I go to the grocery store, and I fucking make a really great meal. Yep. That sounds like a beautiful December. As my yoga teacher would say, there's beauty in the still. Let's see (laughs) if it happens. (laughs) 